Welcome to the Woman Unleashed podcast. I am your host and coach, Kelly Kristen, and my mission is to have every woman know her worth, speak her truth, and unleash the fierce feminine power within to live life in full expression. If you are wanting to experience more joy, pleasure, deeper connection to your femininity, sensuality, and spirituality, you are in the right place. This podcast will give you the tools and guidance you need to transform yourself and life from the inside out. I am so happy to have you here. Now, get ready to unleash. Hello, sisters. I am so excited to be here with you today. How are you all doing? How are you all doing up there? Seriously, there's so much happening in the world. There's still, you know, gosh, I was just talking to um, David about this earlier. What a weird time to be existing, right? Like we've all kind of adjusted in ways, obviously, to this point, but it's still, it's just so bizarre. And I just find myself wondering um, what it's going to be like in the future, the near future, but also in like the future future, just wandering minds with all kinds of possibilities. And um, really excited to be speaking with you today and for you to be tuning into this episode today, um, because I am talking to a beautiful, lovely, dear sister friend of mine she's just an absolute soul sister with me um her name is cheryl jolene and she and i both date black men and we thought it was really important for us to bring a conversation to you um and in this conversation i think we're primarily speaking to white people white women um obviously you know i have quite a diverse people that that follow me, that listen to this podcast, and I want to respect everybody. And, you know, obviously we are two white women that are talking about race in this conversation, but it's really a conversation about how to have those hard conversations with other white people. Jolene and I both feel really strongly that, um, you know, we, we have been behind the scenes having conversations with people because we have interrelational relationships and we've had to do our own work and to be able to show up the best in our relationships. So we wanted to have just a super raw and honest conversation with each other and share it with you and how we are handling talking to people and being that bridge um, for maybe, you know, she shares some really deep stories with some issues that she's had with her family and how to navigate that and really doing it from a place of love and understanding, which is what I feel the world really needs right now. You know, we don't need to be getting angry and reacting other people right I mean I'm speaking for white people we don't need to be getting angry with other people about race I don't think it's our anger to hold I think it's our space to hold to be the bridges to light the way to maybe help change somebody's mind maybe help shift somebody's perspective so we really share just openly things that we're going through um, things that we have dealt with in our relationships the conversations um, she just shares so openly so beautifully about 
tough conversations and how to really show up in ways that can move the needle forward. And I know that I've even had a couple of you that listen to this podcast reach out to me like, hey, I have friends or family that just don't get where I'm coming from or they don't see the error of their ways. And we really break it down and get into kind of some nitty gritty stuff in this podcast. So I'm super excited to share it with you. I also want to say we are two white people talking about race. And um, again, I am no anti-racism expert. I would never claim to be that. That is not my lane. I ask that, you know, if we say something that is... Um, I don't know, just not the appropriate thing to say that you give us grace, you give us space because we're all learning. And you'll hear both of us say we've been doing this for years and still make mistakes and we still don't know things. And that's actually a really good, beautiful place to be when you can admit that you don't know everything and you still have so much more to learn. So I truly hope that you take some time to listen to this, to learn and to lean in and um, really get the insights. So without further ado, here is Jolene and I, and I'll see you on the other side. I just have this experience when I've been out in public or on set and I meet uh, black actors or I'm meeting a new black person and we're communicating and I feel the need to mention that I have a black fiance. And it's almost like I'm noticing the part of myself that just wants to throw that into the conversation to sort of gain like brownie points. And it's like this, I've really had to check myself in that. I'm like, what if I just took that off the table and I just was here just, just present in the moment and seeing what could come from that authentic connection without having to add any of that to the situation. Right. I find that so interesting. And I think that I've had similar experiences in some ways, maybe not now, but definitely in the past in my life where it's almost like you want to, um, you want them to know, like, I'm a friend you yeah. know, or, or, or something like that. Um, but it's interesting because we can just show up and be a friend. But I also think that there is the context in our society that's prevalent, especially right now, where it's like a lot of white people use, you know, the fact that maybe they are in that relationship with a black person or they have black friends that that somehow makes them not racist and that somehow allows them to negate looking at any of their own personal biases. And absolutely. I think there's a point of like really in, in those situations, I almost like feel the separation. I can feel like the, the sense of separation and my, and me wanting to say that is really just wanting to let me just skip over the separation so we can feel, so I can feel better about communicating um, or feeling close to this person or, you know, that separation hurts. And I think that's a lot of what the collective um, is feeling like white people just want so badly to be able to, the majority, not all, to be able to do the right thing. What can we do? What can we do? How can we be a part of this? Um, and there, and I can only speak from my experience, but there tends to be a lot of bypassing that goes along with that. Totally. And you know, what's so interesting. I just, I just remembered the last time that I was actually working on a set with David, um, and speaking to one of the black women that were on the set and we started talking about race because we were 
filming something that literally just happened a few days after um, the George Floyd um, incident. And so it was a really heightened time. And there was quite a few white women on set and there was me and one black woman, we started getting into the conversation about race. And I kind of remember taking control of the conversation, you know, as I <laughs> tend to do sometimes. <laughs> and um, almost like I felt that I had to let her know that I had all of this knowledge about race, that I had been doing the right, work, right? right. <laughs> and I can even remember as I was saying certain things like, Kelly, calm down. Like, you don't have to perform Right. Um, for this person, like it's, it ends up when, when you truly are integrated, it just ends up being who you are. Like you don't have to raise your hand and say, oh, me, 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 me. I read how to be an anti-racist or me, me, me. Like I know what systemic racism is. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, and it, it speaks to wanting sort of that acknowledgement in a way, like that ego acknowledgement of I'm one of the good ones. Um, and also I think that that, it just, we really have to look at, okay, how do we do the work beyond, um, the ego acknowledgement and really mm -hmm. unpack everything. And so I would love to know from you, Jolene, like what your experience has been. So obviously, um, you have been with your man for quite a few years. So this is not necessarily a new topic <laughs> conversation for you in your life, but I really would love to know like what that experience has been for you integrating, you know, coming from a very white family and choosing to be with a black man and what that experience was like. One, you know, having to bring him home, like, hey, mom and dad, like this is this is my man. This is who I love. Mm -hmm. um, and really starting there and how that has unfolded in your life. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you said bringing him home, I remember the first time that I brought him home, my, my parents live in Florida and, um, and when I first told them that I was, they knew about REA and my, you know, that you knew that he was black. My real father had a big problem with it and sort of hung up the phone on me and, we're currently not talking. We've reconnected since this whole, the BLM movement has sort of ramped up and he's still not able to meet me in loving communication. So that's, you know, that's no, no longer a connection. So that's out of the picture. And then my real mom, you know, they, they for a while pretended like they didn't really have a problem with it, but I'm so keen to psychic energy. And I could just tell that there wasn't something that they were voicing. So I eventually got, you know, the words out of them, something along the lines of, we just think that, you know, you should stick to your own race or with And that was like, mm. what, what? Uh, and so it took months of heartache and hard conversations. And this was a few years ago. And eventually we healed a lot and they got to take a look at some of their shadow stuff because sometimes, and this is what I really feel is, being the bridge we've you and i've talked about being the bridge and it takes work and there's like a piece of me that in those moments where they were just some of the things that would come out of their mouth would be horrible i'm like how could you believe that you know so ang so full of anger it's just color like how could you not to me black is so beautiful and mm -hmm. it's just wild 
hearing different perceptions and, and step and being able to try to have compassion and everything in me in those moments when they were just not, when they were hurting me, I wanted to just push them away. And, and I think that that's not real allyship. Um, it's not then, and it isn't now to just push people away that aren't able. And of course there's a balance. Like if someone's just horrendous and absolutely disgusting and you can't really speak to, you're not able to have a conscious conversation with them, but to really try and mold. And, you know, for me, it's prayer and things like that. And off of the first time bringing him home, <laughs> I remember the garage opening and we were all in a good mood and we were coming home from the airport. My mom picked us up from the airport and he was coming to the house that I grew up in for the first time. And the garage opened and there's a huge Confederate flag um, in the garage. Like, I mean, a uh, six foot long Confederate flag and they also had one in the back of the truck and I immediately felt his energy shift but I didn't know why at the time mm. and here he sort of um he shared with me and what you know what the confederate flag meant to him and and for me growing up in the south I guess it's just part of being ignorant I knew that there was different opinions about it but I also knew that I just grew up seeing it all the time and right. it was a part of so-called American culture which is or Southern South culture, but it's also wrapped up in so much, so much um, dark history and what it represented to him and the pain that he felt having to go inside the house, walk in, walk into the front door next to a six foot Confederate flag um, in Florida. And of course there were many different conversations him and my dad had after a few beers and they got to have the conversations and it was sticky and uncomfortable and, um, and really uncomfortable for me. Right. Um, and by the end of the trip, we had both decided that we didn't really feel comfortable in the home. And, and it's like thinking of our future babies that are going to be melanated. And if it's just, there's so many layers to that conversation. Right. So let me ask you this then you coming home, seeing the Confederate flag, obviously at, in that moment, didn't really mean much to you because it's just something that you're used to seeing. It just sort of is part of your life. And so to listen to him and hear him describe it was, was it like that moment where something switched in you? Like, did you have to look at yourself and be like, wow, I have a lot to learn here? Or, you know, what was that sort of realization point for you where you're like, okay, like it's not you know, what, like we were saying in the beginning, it's not just enough to date a black man. Like I actually have work to do here. Right. And you know, what's interesting is you, you hear people talking, oh, let's go have the hard conversations. But when you get to the conversations and you're having them with people and they have these whole backstories that make so much sense in their mind, like what the Confederate flag mm. means to my family and what to my stepdad you know, um, is it's a pride. He has this whole story with so much heart versus what Arya has and what in how the the black community and and well now a lot of the world see the confederate flag consider and myself as well and it's for me the one thing that stuck out in my mind and how i felt is if there is a whole group of people that feel this strongly that are in, that are in pain every time they see this flag and what it means to them what it represents to them then why, why, why would it not be so easy just to take it down or to mm. move, move from something else? And it's, it's so, it's so much easier to just say that. But when you get to having these conversations with my, my stepdad, he's a, 
he military uh, he's definitely one of those guys he was a sergeant of the orange county jail in florida for 25 years he's definitely so when you talk about systemic racism and things it's like there's a lot of interesting energies from you know a father that worked in the jail as a sergeant for right. 25 years there's so many different layers and and then seeing how just brainwashed and i use that word <laughs> Um, they can be because they, you know, from their point, they, they sit in Florida, they've only been, they, and this is what I have told them, they watch one news channel, one narrative, and they sit and watch this box, and that's where they get all their opinions. Right. This tiny, tiny, tiny little loop, they've only traveled so many places, and that's how it is in the South. People that live in the South don't really get outside of the South. It's the same thing with like the echo chamber of our, of our social media and our Instagram. It's like the people that we're reaching and the algorithm in which we experience life in for social media is just, it's so small. And even I, I realize I am very untraveled. I need to go see more of the world and experience that. That's something that's I've already known before, but really has come out of this is like, mm -hmm. I really need to just go experience be there, be different right. places, see different cultures, hear more black stories. Right. Well, I think that that's something that, I mean, so many of us do right now that we don't even realize. Um, even, even thinking, let's say that you have the perception that you're one of the good ones and, um, you know, you can create this world where that is all you see, where you have the people that are just agreeing with you and they have the same the same thoughts and the same beliefs and you know that becomes your world and anything outside of that becomes attacked but i really loved what you said about opening up to hear you know like the stories of your stepfather where it's what does that actually mean to him because it's really easy for us really fiercely believing in equality and believing that we need to do some dismantling in this society and it's easier for us to look at those people that are holding so dearly on to these symbols that we think of bigotry and racism. Yes. And, you know, the reality is, is that people, uh, everyone has their own experiences. They have their own perceptions, their perceptions shape their reality. We all have different realities. So to truly move the conversation forward, we have to be willing to go outside of our bubbles, to go outside of what we believe and do it in a way that is inviting and loving. So, if you're open to it, I would love for you to talk about how you've been, because clearly you've been able to bridge that gap at least a little bit, like where, you know, with your mom and your stepdad, where they're on board with the fact like, okay, we maybe can look at some things within ourselves, but that relationship isn't necessarily there with your dad, who you said you're not speaking to. If you're willing to talk a little bit about like what the difference of that dynamic has been and how you're honoring yourself in that relationship between my real father and my mother and stepfather? Well, between one, the relationship between your mom and your, your stepfather with you seems like you guys are obviously still speaking. You can have the conversations with them, but with your real father, it's not going so well. Right. What I need to know at the end of the day, and this is the question that I asked myself, I need to know that I did everything I could. If I can show up with all of my heart and that and for me that's like let me give myself a great love practice self-love practice fill my cup up you know meditate 
and what things do I want to conversate with them about? What do I want to bring up? And then I get there and I have the conversation to the best of my ability. And it's people like my real father that just still, you know, he's couldn't, can't meet me. He's just, he also has mental illnesses and there's just many levels, layers of things going on there. But my stepfather and my mother, it's like speaking to the whole white fragility thing. It's like, oh my goodness. I actually ordered the book, White Fragility, because I, I, I just need some help in that arena. I need help understanding. And it's, it's wild. How, anything that shakes the sense of my mother being a good person, like anything that, sh that shakes her identity, that's at her core of like her being a wholesome, loving person um, and the things that she identifies with versus being able to have an open conversation. And like, I think there's so much power in having a conversation and being willing to be wrong, being willing to like, oh, I don't understand. I think, th I think that's so beautiful. It's a beautiful vulnerability. And this idea that we have to have it right all the time and that's, that's leadership. And I think that's bullshit. I really think that like the leaders of our time that are, you know, the white people that are trying to be the best allies they can and educating themselves and finding their lane, like whatever their gifts are and how they can add to the shift that's happening. I just, I feel like it's vulnerability and authentic authenticity is so important. And there's so many things that I still don't understand and I'm still educating myself on and just back to your question, as long as I know that I did everything I could, as long as I knew I show, I sh I, I'm showing up in my fullest self. And, and honestly, there's, it's taking it little bit by little bit. And these hard conversations, sometimes you think, oh, I'm just going to show up in peace. You know, I'm, I'm, I can have these conversations and I can hold this ground and I can make them understand. Then you just get into it. And they say one thing and I just get so defensive and all of a sudden I'm yelling and I'm like, whoa, where is that energy coming from? Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow. So it really does take so much work. And right now it's just like being really patient with the process, like understanding that each time we have a 15 minute conversation and it's heated and we get off the phone agitated at each other. And I'm like, okay, we got to get off the phone now. We'll, we'll talk more about this later. It's like taking it in steps and allowing her to integrate and me to integrate and continuing to educate myself. And it's different with uh, my, my stepfather actually just had a hip replacement. So I'm being a little more gentle with him right now. <laughs> I'm just sending him videos and you know, I'm not trying to stoke that flame really hard, but he just, there's a whole level of him just sending me, um, I don't even know if I wanna bring this up, but there's, there's what I found is there's certain, there's a very few, black people out there that are Trump supporters and completely agree, like are Trump lovers. And there's very few of them, but because the media is so messed up in the way that they push those videos so hard and those people and their opinions are so out there. Mm -hmm. and so he's always sending me these, these very few black people. It's like the, I can, I don't want to say their names, but yeah. that are Trump supporters and that believe all the things that he does. And he, it, he almost sends it to me like, Hey, look at this is black people are on my side too which right. is infuriating. And then, and then I, me and my fiance will watch the videos and it, it's infuriating for him. Oh, sure. So and what's crazy about that to me is like, why is the fact that caring about 
black people and their experience in this country. Why is that political? It's, it's, it's not political. It shouldn't be if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It should be like, do you care about people enough to listen to their experiences and actually take a look at yourself and the systems that you grew up in to possibly make it change? But we're so caught up in this separation. We're so caught up in this idea of being right and wrong that we just can't be willing to unlearn, you know, on all sides. And I think that that's what really stops people even trying to find like those, you know, three black people that are saying things that you're saying and that you believe and trying so badly to hold on to that because it's part of your identity. It's part of people make that part of their identity. Like I'm a Republican and I do this and I do that. And we need to just get rid of all of that and go down to like, what does it mean to be a human and have a human experience? And how can we make the human experience better in the time that we're here on earth? And I think for me, I certainly didn't realize like my own, not just my own unawareness of everything that, that the black experience has been in this country. And I remember it was a couple weeks before, um, again, before the George Floyd incident. And as, um, as REA is an activist, so is David. They both similarly do a lot of um, spoken word and different artistic things to um, let their voices be heard and try to bring about change. David had written a piece, a spoken word piece, and he played it for me in the car. And I remember we were going to work out and it was really about a bit about his experience, but also the black experience in America. And he played it for me and it maybe was a 90 second piece. And I just broke down in tears. And I just, I said, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I make this better? And this is, you know, a couple years into our relationship. And honestly, being with him has been such a great learning lesson because he is that activist, because he has opened my eyes to a lot of things that I just truly was not aware of. Because again, like, privilege and being white, whiteness is the thing. You're just born with it. You don't know what it is because it is you. It's like the fish being in the water. It has no idea the water is there because it's never experienced anything but the water, right? Mm. That's what whiteness is. Once you start to look outside of whiteness and start to see culture in a different way, that for me has been the greatest, greatest learning lesson. But still, I was in this place of, okay, I had been learning this for years. I didn't know it was called anti-racism work until really just about a month ago. I had just considered it my own unlearning, my own unveiling of the truth. The whole George Floyd thing just put it into our faces that we couldn't just, I know I couldn't sit back anymore. Like I had to start speaking up. I had to start literally being activated in a different way. Um, you know, doing the phone calls that I need to make, changing, um, you know, talking about it on this podcast, something that I'd wanted to do for a really long time that I just didn't. And I don't know if it was underlying unconscious fears or, you know, it just felt like I didn't have to, right? Because again, that's privilege. Like I don't have to talk about it. I can choose to ignore it. Um, But I think for a lot of us and why we're willing to have these conversations now is because it's become so in our face 
that we can no longer choose to ignore it because if you're choosing to ignore it, it's just, it became not possible for me to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like off of, cause what it's off of your experience and being able, the moment that you watch that video and that feeling that came over you. And that's what I was of just crying. Like, what do I do? Like, how do I, and I feel like as the collective white people, white women, when the whole George Floyd thing happened and there was this big wave of all of my friends that were my white friends not knowing what to do. Like, oh my God, mm -hmm. it was almost debilitating. Like there was like, can't speak, the throat's just cut off, don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And it, it's painful. And that big wave that just crossed, like it was a wake up call. And there were so many people that didn't know how to find their lane, didn't know how to act. They were so worried. And I, this is myself included. And speaking from my friends and all the conversations that we had with, I had with my white friends behind closed doors, it's like being afraid to get it wrong, being mm -hmm. afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, but just wanting so bad, needing to know that you have to do something like you have, you can no longer ignore. And I'm curious, like what it was like for you shifting from you know, that, that experience of not knowing what to do and then finding your own lane. For me, I think it was more of a build in the sense that like when George Floyd was murdered in front of our eyes, I had already had that building sense of I need to do something, I need to do something. So um, I think the difference between a lot of our, you know, our white counterparts right now is like they really for the first time are starting to look at that. Mm. No. So I have compassion for, um, and a deep understanding for that because I know, you know, in my education that it's taken me a couple of years to get to this point where I feel like I'm super ready to have these conversations out loud. So I do have compassion for people that are just waking up to this because there is so much to unpack and so much to do. So for me, when I personally saw that, it was just like that flip switched inside of me. That's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just, I'm going to do something. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to um, just do what I can in my own life. And like I said, for me, that looks like some behind the scenes stuff, some donating to um, black movements that I believe in. That looks like signing the petitions, sharing the petitions, um, emailing uh, people that are involved, but also actions in my daily life going back to the beginning like why do i feel like i have to tell everybody that i did a black man or why did i feel like i had to have this ego about that's me? vulnerability to share like, that too so right. vulnerable it's like just got to be honest just mm -hmm. got to be honest yeah i think as humans right our our initial desire is to be right like that's a human thing. That's just a human response. Like I am right. I am right. I know what I am talking about. It's a total different mindset to be able to look at something and say, I actually don't know anything about this. And going back to the identity piece where if you look at the things that we grew up, if you grew up in America and you went to schools in America and you learned American history, the way that it's taught is completely whitewashed. It's not even the truth. So to go back, to have to look at like everything that you've learned essentially and have to look at it and say, wow, none of that was true. It can be really scary for a lot of people because 
you don't necessarily want to believe that um, the government has lied to you. You don't necessarily want to believe. Slavery still exists. It just looks different and is sort of hidden. Right. And it's like, on a sense, if you, you know, feel like I'm a good person, you don't necessarily want to believe that you have also been playing into systemic racism and you don't want to believe that you are upholding that. Mm. So I think that that's a major point too. And we have to look at the ways in ourselves in which we still are upholding that and what we can do to actively change it. And it's not like that's going to happen overnight. Like for me, I've been on this journey for a couple of years and I still feel like I don't know shit about shit. Like (laughs) I don't know anything. And there's so much for me to have to learn. And there's so much that I'm continuing to learn. So even looking at both of our significant others are actors and what it's like even in Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking at that whole dynamic and how they cast black people or don't cast black people and the type of black people that they cast and like how that actually plays into systemic racism, right? And how, because of who they cast shows this, this type of black person is only good for this. And this type of black person is only good for that. Like there's so much that we, that goes on that we're just picking up unconsciously that we're just really not aware of. So this is literally a lifelong journey to continue to look at yourself and continue to unpack that and continue to, um, take responsibility is like the word that comes to me. It's like, I really love what you said about just, I think I mentioned it too, like admitting that you just don't know, because when Mm -hmm. we're so concerned with being right, we're in separation consciousness. We're wanting to be right. And we're wanting the other person to be wrong or we're trying, it's that separation, but coming from a space of, I don't really know, then the answers kind of are invited in. We're inviting the answers in and for me, it's like another big piece that's been really powerful in this for me and which is the work that I've been doing before the BLM movement sort of fired up again, or it has been, this is, and it's been here. So I apologize for saying that the BLM movement has been here, but mm-hmm. I, I, I take full responsibility that I have not taken it seriously until recently. And right. it, and it's that shame that comes up that I had to deal with that, like deep shame. Like, why did it take me so long? Right. So like, what can I do? And the first thing is like clearing up my own consciousness mm-hmm. and, and inviting my parents to do the same. Like when somebody like a black man walks down the street and I, you know, there's like a, a small reaction in my head or if someone's behind me and I'm like, okay, if that was a white man, like I just ask myself these questions and sometimes like, oh, okay. If it was any man, I probably would have been afraid or reacted or responded, but like checking mm-hmm. in my own consciousness because it's, it's all energy and the the subconscious programming, you talk about roles from TV, right? all of the movies that we see and taking a moment to really check ourselves and do that deep, deep inner work. It's like, what is the work? What, what does the work look like? And for me, like, it really looks like taking a long, hard look at my biases. And sometimes like that's, it's, it's the energy of contemplation, asking the questions and then, and then keeping in touch with them. Like, where do I have biases like where where is that showing up and and it's always very subtle little things but those things are what's really powerful and those subtle energies are what keeps this fire this separation this racist 
racism, it keeps it fueled, it keeps it going. Right. So how are how has the dynamic between you and REA um, been during during this time specifically in the wake of the death of George Floyd? Like what has um, shifted or come up or what are you what are you guys really experiencing during this time together? Like being the black man and the white woman. Mm, Yeah, I definitely want to hear that from you as well um it's interesting and in the beginning like when (sighs) there were a few different murders that happened and when these in in these moments when he finds out there's been this separation to where i'm just watching him crying like this big beautiful strong man just brought to his knees and i you know I've, i've said this before it's like i can I won't really have the right thing to say because there's a certain level of me being not able to understand and I can nurture in the way that I can and I can be there and I can hold him, but it feels like there's just a distance between us in those moments in the beginning. And I think it's sort of shifted. We've, we've come together, but there's his pain. I can't, I can feel pain, but there's a certain, there's a level and and, an, I can't feel pain in the way that he does and Mm -hmm. accepting that I will never understand. And it's not, that's not my pain. I don't get to claim it. I can have my own, but what he's been living with and identifying being a black man in America and then watching this, these things, these atrocities happen to black men over and over again. And he's been somebody who has been like, like your love creating art art that makes people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. uncomfortable like both of our kings really go at it they're not afraid to play that coin and make people really like whoa to where you can only really watch it once (laughs) that's really all you need um and that's i can speak for aria's stuff in that and it's funny because i used to find his art so uncomfortable i remember he had a piece called stand and deliver which he just recently Mm re-released and it used to make me really uncomfortable. And I used to ask, I used to watch it. And I'm like, why is he so angry? Why, you know, why can't it just, why can't he find this message and do it in peace and love? And I would, I would literally think that. And now <laughs> this, you know, it's like a big slap in the face. I see that anger and I'm, I just see why it's so necessary. And sometimes the spiritual community and myself being, you know, considering, I consider myself to be a light worker, thinking that you always have to be the peace and the love where it's, the anger fuels and the anger breaks down and there is a place for sacred anger. It's sacred right. And um, I think ever since the unfolding of this, we've been able at the stages that we've gone through in the beginning, it was letting him have his process and letting me have my process. And I think the biggest thing was I needed to take responsibility. There was a piece of me that needed, I couldn't, he couldn't hold my hand for me to try to understand. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be, and it's funny because there's another thing I want to mention is, and this might be helpful to a lot of the white people out here listening, is there were so many people that reached, so many white friends that reached out to Arye because he was, quote unquote, the accessible black man. He was the one black friend in their community that they could reach out, hey, brother, like, can you mm. help me understand? Is this right to post? I have a business. Is this right to oh, say, no. you know, like needing him to check everything. And it became, and he's done, led tons of talks and podcasts around being the accessible black man since, since then. 
And it was like, I was watching that happen and realizing like, oh, I can't come to him either. I need to take responsibility. And at the end of the day, if I really need to ask him something, then he'll, you know, of course he's going to be there. He's my partner, but I need to take responsibility. I need to move through um, this. At the time it was shame in the beginning. So how do I work through the shame? I posted a video and sharing shared my experience about my parents and when they first found out he was black and um i just started sharing from a raw space and it wasn't pretty at all but it really it shed some layers and and so that was a big turning point me taking responsibility and and continuing to do that and show up and it's like similar to you um how you've been finding your own lane my question to myself is ask how can i give my gifts to assist so i've been offering um healing sessions to um black women because i really really feel passionately about investing in black leaders Mm -hmm. and um so just asking myself what i can do and as he's been seeing me show up from my own accord not needing not needing a hand to hold or any of that, like even choosing to do this podcast with you, like it's just every little step, every, every, and, and so there's just become a level of respect there that's brought us closer. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious your experience are you, with you guys through all of this and how it's shifted and molded. Gosh, for me, there's been a lot, right? And I know that you had reached out to me a I think a couple days into um into just just everything exploding and I was just like yeah my my heart is hurting like I just I'm in a I didn't even really want to talk I was like let's talk in a couple days you know <laughs> like I was like my my heart is hurting um it's it's hard because uh, and I think you similarly feel this like our hearts hurt for them but yet yeah. it is it is not our pain um but in a way, it's like, it's that pain that we have to look at and sit with. For me, I think definitely some shame came up around the fact that I was, you know, in that spot where I felt like I knew I needed to do something, but still hadn't. Um, so there was definitely some shame feeling there. And then also, you know, looking back at like, where was I when, you know, the BLM protests were happening uh, years and years ago? Like, I remember uh, thinking that it was annoying that people were in the streets when I was trying to party in Miami. Like, I, mm-hmm. I remember that. Like, I remember being like, oh, the freaking protesters out there. Like, I just didn't care because I didn't have to. So, like, me having to um, forgive myself for being that person and then using that shame and guilt to, you know, not make myself bad or wrong. Like, obviously, doing a little bit of forgiveness, compassion with myself. Like, I truly didn't know better. I didn't know. I was just in a totally different place in my life and now using that guilt and shame to propel me forward and to create change. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me, it's definitely been a practice of giving him the space that he needs to being there in any way that I can and, uh, listening and Mm -hmm. also just, you know, really for, for me, I think I even have a different lens than he does just of the nature of the work that I do, which, you know, I understand trauma really deeply and to, I can't really understand what it would be like though, to be a black man right now where you're having to witness these things over and over again. And then 
not only witness the, um, you know, physical things that happen, but then having to witness the nation uproaring and having to fight and having people fight back and still saying, no, like this isn't even wrong, right? Having that group of people and what that is like, that's the thing that has really, um, really been like on my heart of like, I don't know. I don't know how I would be handling that. I don't know um, how like they're still able to to move forward in the way that they do. So just having that deep sense of like compassion and showing up and just trying to be there through all of that. And then I do think that in a way it has allowed us to deepen our relationship with each other because um, I have been taking the actions that I deem necessary and pretty much without fear. Like, you know, I, I've been using my social media to speak out about what I need to say and post what I need to post. And I'll tell you, I've lost a ton of followers. Oh my God. I've lost hundreds, hundreds. And, and I mean, truthfully, I don't care because if Neither you're not following me over that, like, please, please leave. Yes. But, you know, I think, I think him even witnessing me in, in that power and taking the stance that I'm taking and sharing the things that I'm sharing without regard for anything that I could possibly mean for my business or for this or that, I think that it's allowed us to um, come closer in a way. So mm -hmm. beautiful. So yeah. yeah. Wild. I'm like, just if you, if you're not here for the real stuff, then bye-bye. But it's interesting how many leaders they have brands. And so I, I'll admit myself, the, the when the shame was swelling up and I still hadn't spoken for the first time before I made that video. And I was like, I just got to share where I'm at. It's not going to be pretty. I don't plan for it to be perfect. I just have to say something. I'm hurting and sharing my experience um, and losing all those followers. But I've noticed so many different people or friends of mine not wanting to post things or share their share because it's off brand quote unquote for their brand mm -hmm. um, again like is I think caring for people and wanting to see the world a better place should always be on brand but yeah. maybe that's just me <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then I've also seen big brands that are you know, really family oriented and happy go lucky really show up in all of this, which has been beautiful to watch as well. So. Yeah, I truly hope, you know, I think that there's, there's definitely a lot of performative um, stuff going on, mm. which is one aspect, but I truly hope that, you know, the work is being done underneath the seams of some of these companies that are, you know, making the statements or putting out a post or whatever it is. Um, because I, I think we're in a really great place right now where it's all of this stuff has been brought to the surface in such a way. And so many people are, are taking notice in a way that has never been before ever, ever, ever. Um, yeah. So I think that we really are in this place where we can create change and we can be, we can be a part of the change. And, you know, it's like, how many times are people saying things or double tapping on the quote, be the change that you want to see, mm -hmm. but, but mm -hmm. rarely do you actually do that. And it's like, if we all did that right now, if we all were the change that we wanted to see, then we can literally change the world.
Yeah. We're all really being gifted with that opportunity right now to transmute all of this pain into power and transmute all of these horrendous things into that drawing that line in the sand of like, no more that this has to change. Yes. Yes. I'm actually curious. I have a question for you. There's been, um, as, as someone who is very keen on trauma at dealing with conversations with my parents, I've noticed that these experience are, experiences are sort of traumatic for them in a different way as well. And that's the reason why they're so fragile. They're not wanting to dive. It's, it's almost like admitting that they're wrong. There's a certain level of trauma in white history, especially in the South as well. Mm-hmm. And there's always, you know, I've caught them saying, but slavery's over and we didn't do this and we weren't the slave, o-, you know, like all that stuff, all the bullshit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I never, that isn't, but they're not taking responsibility. There's a level of collective ancestral trauma on their end. So I'm curious if you have any advice for myself or anyone listening that might be having those conversations with family members that are white, who maybe a few generations ago, their family did have slaves and they're not wanting to take responsibility. And there's like a trauma there that they're not wanting to take a look at and like recognizing like definitely so see of course we've been taking a look at yeah the trauma in the collective the black black collective trauma of course but I feel like what really isn't being talked about and might not be a really popular conversation to be had but I think it's a really important one like how how what what are the tools to to open um to open these conversations and to soften the separation there. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a really powerful point, right? Because it's like, yeah, the, um, our black counterparts have the ancestral trauma of slavery and of having to rise against and rise above. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, collectively a lot of the white trauma is okay. We were the ones doing harm. Yes. Right. We were the ones that were causing the harm and causing the pain. And we carry that within us, right? Like ancestral trauma, it's it's literally trauma gets passed down through X chromosomes, meaning like everybody has an X chromosome. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, we all have an X chromosome. So it gets passed down from our mothers. And um, knowing this, and that is just scientific fact. That's not some woo-woo sort of out there spiritual thing. That is scientific fact that trauma gets passed down through your mothers. So you are carrying that in your body. What I want to say is that we can not make anybody else realize anything. We can Mm -hmm. present information. We can be the change, right? But we can't make somebody else see. Like you can't awaken that within your mom or your stepdad and say like how can you not see this right the person that is called to really come to that awareness is the one that can change it because by changing you you can actually transmute some of that trauma from the past and this might look like doing some deep prayer work this might look like asking to be in touch with your ancestors and um being able to try to transmute some of that pain and turn it into understanding. Um, I think it's important to note too, it's like 
we are looking at things from a different level of consciousness that wasn't had back in the times of slavery. Like, right. and I'm not trying to say that slavery was right in any means. That is not what I would ever say, but it's a different level of consciousness. We can clearly look back at that and go, how did those people ever think that that was okay? But when you come, when you're born into that consciousness and that's what you know, and that's the life that you grew up in, can you maybe see that they didn't know that that was wrong or bad because it just what was, mm. right? Like think about it in human, like as us right now, what are we doing now that future generations will look at us and go, I cannot believe they did that. They're sick. Mm -hmm. there's something, there's something here and they're going to have to transmute that pain. So right now, I feel like the people that are our age and younger than us are really the, the people that are transmuting it. They're the people that are waking up to all of this and saying, okay, like we can look and see from this new level of consciousness that we're at, we can look and see, and we can transmute that. We can transmute the pain by being different today. Like that's how it works. It's not, yes, you know, it's not just, I'm so sorry this happened. Like you can apologize all you want, but what are the actions that you're taking in your life? And I think that that's the thing over everything. And we can have those conversations. Conversations can only take that person that you're speaking to, to the level of consciousness that they're willing to go. And you're not responsible for anybody else's level of where they're at, but you can continue to just show up in your fullness and your wholeness and in your truth. And I think that that's where the power is. I love that. Yeah, that just, yes, thank you. That brings me back to really doing the deep inner work with like, where, where is my consciousness? Where are those subtle energies that those biases? And we all have them where we were all oh, totally being born into America, being born here, there is a level of, and this may not be a popular opinion either. There is a level of racism with every single person here, like yes. and it's uncovering those subtle, subtle energies. And I think that that work is what's needed to be able to be and be, be, be from a different place. Like who are we being? Right. Who, who are, who do our children get to be because of our new way of being? Right. And I think it was Brene Brown that said something along the lines of, it's not a question of if you have bias, it's how much and how mm. bad. Right. Um, because it's, it's within all of us. It's systemic. You can't avoid it. Like it, it's, it's truly like being that fish in the water. It's all around you. And now you have to wake up to that water and wake up to see. And um, the thing is, is that if you're here listening to this conversation, you are waking up to it. Continue, continue on that path, continue digging into yourself, continue in having the conversations with your families and being the person to bridge that gap instead of bypassing the situation. And I do want to talk about something that uh, Jolene, you and I had briefly spoken about uh, with the well, white people talking about conspiracy theories and um, bypassing the pain of black people and the black experience by yeah. somehow trying to say that this whole movement and everything that happened is some kind of conspiracy theory. Oh, oh yeah. It's not funny. I shouldn't even laugh because it's horrible. Oh, but. I've been sitting with white friends while they've tried to, I mean, in conscious people, people that I consider to be pretty conscious too. 
it's right. it's wild how and that much much that opinion is really floating around and and actually hearing it from my my very own father my stepfather too and it's it it's like a big slap in the face it's so i mean right. for for aria more than myself and and the thing is is to me it doesn't even matter if it was true like mm -hmm. it does not matter if even that was the truth because we're not talking about if that's true or not. I don't care if that's true or not. What I care about is if you are touting conspiracy theories and you're trying to just bypass the fact that the pain that people are going through is very real and that we do have to look at the systems that allows that pain and all of the terrible things that go on to continue. And I think that that's the point for me. So you can believe in conspiracy theories all you want, but you have to be willing to look at people and believe them, right? Like, yes. that's why the Me Too movement became so big because it was the first time that women were believed for their experience, right? That women all came together and said, wow, Me Too, Me Too. And mm -hmm. this is what we are allowing to happen within the Black community for the first time. And I think it's really important that we don't take that away and we allow them to share their stories and we just shut the fuck up and listen. Yeah, and we continue to share their stories. Exactly. And with that, I think that this is a beautiful place to come to a close. So Jolene, if people want to connect with you and, you know, maybe somebody out there is also in communion with a, a lovely black man and has an issue with their family and they want to get some advice, how to talk about it or just talk to you, speak to you in any way, where's the best place to reach you? Yes, I can be found on Instagram at share underscore Jolene. So that's C-H-E-R underscore J-O-L-Y-N-E. And I'm an open book. I'm all about community. And I also want to put in there, I've, I'm, I've ordered white, white fragility. And there are so many white allyship programs and workshops that are easily found online. If anybody wants to take a peeksy-poo and I'm looking for good ways to continue to educate yourself. <laughs> Beautiful. And I will definitely hook some of those up in the show notes as well. All right. Thank you sisters so much for listening. I love you and I'll talk to you soon. Love you too, boo. Bye. Bye.